Hello and welcome to the Telehealth OT podcast where occupational therapists, parents, caregivers, and patients share their telehealth stories. My name is Dr. Reina Oliveira and I am the owner of Telehealth OT Services where we specialize in working with children with autism and also provide education and trainings to occupational therapists about telehealth. I have been able to share my story with the world and now I am extremely happy to give others the opportunity to do the same. Today we have our very first Canadian OT with us here today, which I just learned about. I kind of figured from your accent, like we haven't talked before. And so now I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think she's in the States. So um, I did have my first episode with someone who is living in Sweden. So you're not the first global, but you're the first in Canada. Um, So welcome Lindsay Kelp to the show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And All yes, right. In true Canadian fashion, we are in the middle of a decrease. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so you're better saying... way to spend the day than podcast. Negative 40 Celsius. That is craziness. Yes. Yeah. I always think about that and I'm like, are we really going through global warming? We're not going to talk about all this right now, but it just goes <laughs> through my mind. Like, it is really cold. Mm-hmm. I hear you. So I always like to start out every episode with, tell us your OT story. How did you first learn about occupational therapy? All right. So this is where my my OT shame comes in. So I had no idea about occupational therapy. Uh, My first degree is in kinesiology. And I was going to be a physio or physical therapist, I think you guys see in the States, through and through the whole way through. Um, And I actually was a physiotherapy assistant in the summer and I had applied to physio school and I applied to occupational therapy because t- someone told me it looked good on the application for physio school. Oh, interesting. <laughs> right. And then, so in this assistant position, uh, the occupational therapy assistant went on vacation for like five weeks. She had been there for 25 years and she essentially took the summer off. And so I had to do both jobs and they said, do you know what you're doing? And I said, not a clue. So they sent me on field trips way back when apparently we had less fiscal restraint back then. And uh, I went on field trips to Calgary, Alberta, and actually went and saw a whole variety of occupational therapy jobs over two days. And about a week later, I got accepted to both OT school and PT school. And they gave me 24 hours to make a decision because then, you know, it went to the next person on the list. And so I did not know what to do. And I just went with my gut and I'm really glad I did. I think physio would be great too, but the creativity that I'm allowed in occupational therapy is really what's made me love it. Yeah. No regrets, right? No regrets. (laughs) It's amazing. I love our profession. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very interesting story. Pressure's on to decide like, the rest of your life, right? Like in 24 hours, my goodness. Well, at least you had like some exposure to it. Like I literally did not know about OT. Like it was kind of like a second career for me. So I really didn't know about it. So I'm, I'm with you on the OT shame train. Like, <laughs> there you go. Perfect. All right. So when did you first learn about telehealth specifically? 
So telehealth has been um, used in Canada for a long time, mm -hmm. but in different capacities. So the very first time that I really was exposed to telehealth was actually on a student practicum in 2010. And I went to a Halloween, I'm going to say it wrong. We, in English, we call it a Kalawit, and it is up on Baffin Island in the Arctic in our newest territory called Nunavut. And so when you're up there, there is the, the town, literally, of a Kalawit, which does not have paved roads. There is no trees. You either fly in or you come in by ship. Um, and so you need to provide service, occupational therapy service, to the entire island, which is about 30,000 people at the time. I'm not sure what it is now, but you have to, you know, go even further north. So I was given three communities to be in charge of as a student for occupational therapy services. And so in the summer months, that would mean flying up there for a week each and, and seeing people kind of en masse for OT things. But for the rest of the year, we did things via telehealth whenever the internet would work um, or by phone. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first big introduction. So we saw any form of occupational therapy. So we had peds, we saw uh, you know, hands, we saw wheelchairs, we did equipment, we did palliative care, whatever that might look like, uh, where we could help. And so peds was the main thing that it was used for. Mm -hmm. And so in each community, there would be maybe one support worker, um, like a community health support worker, usually with no formal training. And they would speak the local language as well, which mm. there's many dialects of Inuktitut. Um, and I'm probably going to butcher that even, <laughs> but they would at least be able to speak English. And so then we would be able to work with children kind of directing through video, you know, hand over hand or different pieces. So I'm not going to say I was great at it, yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty neat to know that we could reach people so far away yeah. and in, even in a different language. Wow. So what brought you to that fieldwork experience? I thought it was the coolest field, fieldwork experience that they offered. Like who wouldn't want to go on an adventure? You have to pay to play in school anyways. <laughs> So oh my God, I love that. <laughs> I think my flight at the time was like $2,500. Like I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Student loans paid for all of it. Yes. But I said like, when else am I going to get to go to the Arctic in my life? <laughs> so I flew up. It's our May long weekend. So we have a long weekend in May. Um, and it was minus 25. I got to go dog sledding on Frobisher Bay, which is part of the ocean. And like with the coolest things, with the first lady who ever dog sledded to the North Pole and the South Pole, actually. Whoa. So yeah, it was unreal. And by That's the time so I cool. left in July, it was plus 20 and there was mosquitoes everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just probably the most diverse experience as an OT student you could ever have. That's so much fun. so cool. I first of all, I love the fact that you just admitted that your school loan paid for everything because like oh, I yeah. thought I was alone. I took a trip, a leadership trip in OT school to Ireland and I was like, this is a once in a lifetime. I'm not like mm -hmm. I'm not messing around. My loans can pay for this and we'll just worry about it later. Sorry, yep. mom. 
<laughs> right? I said the same thing. My dad's like, can you not just go, you know, half an hour away yeah. to the hospital like everybody else? And I was like, when have I done things like everyone else, dad? Never. So yeah, that's kind of my thought there. All right. So you have had exposure to telehealth for a while now. So I would love to hear in 2010, what kind of barriers were you experiencing? In 2010, uh, in that student practice we just talked about, the barriers really were around, you know, um, access to internet. We're in a very remote, or I was in a remote location, working with people even in further remote areas. So internet was a big deal. Uh, you know, having appropriate internet, having access to that in a community, there usually was only you know, computers available at the one community health center. So people had to come in that different. So really getting people to actually be able to physically use telehealth was one hard thing. Another thing was really that language barrier that we had in that particular instance, right? So I'm speaking English and this person may speak English or they may not. And so then we need to use a translator. And so, you know, quality of therapy also was probably at a little bit at risk there, asking people in a different language to complete therapy tasks, especially yeah. with little to no formal training. And I know people are going to jump on that and say people shouldn't be doing therapy without training, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But we're making do with what we got in the situation, right? So right. really that moves people forward and then we can build on that. And they have in the last decade, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Back home in Alberta, the barriers to telehealth were again, things like secure lines, right? Like we have privacy legislation in place. Things were just starting to really come in during that, you know, early 2000s period. So it was also people's comfort level with their information, their uh, medical right. information being on the internet. Mm -hmm. That was a big one. And then also in Alberta as a province, we had, and it had just come into play a few years previous to that, we have almost what you call a super organization. You guys would consider it like a statewide health. So we have public health here. And so everything is run through Alberta Health Services pretty much. We do have private pay on the side. For example, I run my private pay business, um, but the majority of health that we access is public. And so in an organization that size, setting up the policies, procedures, et cetera, to use telehealth is really daunting. So at the time it wasn't used a ton here, it was definitely used more in the areas where they had no other options. So we have um, HIPAA here, like protecting our clients. You, got, you guys have something similar, I'm assuming. Yeah. So we still, even if we're talking online stuff, we talk, is it HIPAA compliant? But we all know we need the Canadian version. <laughs> oh, okay. That's yeah. funny. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we chatted briefly on Messenger and you were telling me that you had like a very crazy case like about mm -hmm. your wheelchair evaluation. So tell everyone the story yes. about that. So. In school, we're all taught, you know, how do you evaluate someone for a wheelchair? And there's all these like, you need to do this, and here's the rule, and minus two inches here, or add two inches. 
uh, here we we used to add an extra inch for winter coats. <laughs> things oh, like wow. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds silly, but we did. Um, so now we have some more information on that. But my very first wheelchair assessment or evaluation was actually via telehealth in Nunavut over telehealth with a translator. Wow. So it was an older gentleman who needed a wheelchair, the community support worker. Um, I told her she needed a ruler. I told her she needed a uh, fabric kind of measuring tape, someone you would use for sewing so it could bend a little bit. Mm -hmm. She didn't have one of those, so we used a ruler. And um, I told her she needed just pen and paper to write down things. Yeah. And so I was looking at the gentleman seated in a chair. And she would take the measurements and then all the OT pieces of that, right? Of like, how do you plan to use this in a day? What mm -hmm. else is going to happen? Well, there's no roads in these towns, right? Wow. So they all need mountain bike tires that can grip and go through snow and over gravel. Mm -hmm. So how do you assess for that? And the front casters need to be big enough to get over the terrain. So we had to assess and change for that. And things like the moisture, we're right beside the ocean. You know, how fast is this thing going to rust? Mm. Because there's always the, you know, the client is funded for a wheelchair every so many years and all these different things. Um, even our, even the cushion, right? We're assessing for the cushion. And over telehealth, I'm asking, you know, like, what other areas do you sit on where do you transfer to like a chair or this or that so that we could make things similar heights and it was just it was a gong show to be terribly <laughs> honest and I was very glad to have therapists you know as preceptors who were they were used to it yeah. but that was my first wheelchair evaluation and I'm doing over telehealth and we only get one time slot because this person is only available one day a week as a community support worker. Wow. And you know, things like they're in the Arctic, you can't give them a gel seat. It's going to freeze. Right. So what else could we ask? And the person could speak English, but then had to translate back over. And there aren't words for a wheelchair cushion wow. in an institute. So just those things that you don't think about, you have this beautiful little sheet mm. with all the like, oh, write down the measurements. And here's the questions that you would normally ask a person. And now you had to totally adapt that to, for me, a different culture, a culture. different language mm -hmm. and all on the fly. And you really hoped you got it right because it was only coming once, right? Wow. So these had to be shipped in from Southern Canada, usually from Ontario or Quebec. And you can imagine the cost of freight, right? Mm -hmm. To either ship something in or fly it in. So what does that do? And then we had to think about all the wheelchair things. Everyone there has to fly out if they need medical care. So if they had to fly out, could the wheelchair break down? Can it fit in a two-seater plane? How much weight is it? Because you only have so much weight in a plane. So just the sheer logistics of all of that and then having to do that via telehealth yeah. was fairly overwhelming as a student. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That is like analysis to, I mean, to the 10th. Right? I mean, wow. Like culturally, I was thinking culture when you were talking. I'm like, all the things you have to consider culturally 
we're all supposed to be culturally aware right but like that's that's an extreme to think like oh the gel cushion would freeze like what and we're used to at least that piece here in Alberta (laughs) but the rest was like ooh. and so I think that was a real um opportunity at least via telehealth for me to then also see that person and really get a feel versus just over the phone you Mm -hmm. know just by facial expression were they excited about that did they think that was not a good idea so there was a lot of nonverbal communication that telehealth made possible Mm -hmm. and also lots of hand gesturing right like hand talking big time so I'm saying you know if you need to do this in your day what does that look like right how can we do that from the chair versus having to get that information secondhand or over the telephone and think that I had it right when really I didn't have a clue yeah so was the community worker the same person that was interpreting yes okay I can just like imagine like a third person, fourth person, like in this. No, thankfully it was the same person, but like this person may never have seen a wheelchair in real person in real life before this. Right. So that was kind of the big thing too, was telehealth allowed us to actually take what we had at the clinic, which was limited, but at least show Show the person who has never seen this before or maybe limited times in their life. And we're telling them you need to use this every day. Yeah. So we could at least give them a visual as well. Yeah. I love that. I love how you're using like the power of the, of the visuals for telehealth. Cause it's, I mean, it's so important. Like I, now there's so much more like screen sharing and, you know, you could have yeah. pulled up a picture of something or what have you and shared that. Yeah. But at least like you said, uh, comparing a phone call which is still considered telehealth, but adding that video component to it adds so much value to the, you know, to that person's experience. And being a student, I didn't get to see when that person received their wheelchair, just I wasn't still there. Mm. But my preceptor did shoot me an email when it came in and said, hey, you know, that wheelchair you did, it came in, here's what went well, here's what didn't work, which was pretty typical. Yeah. Um, we always had to kind of make adjustments and change because it took almost six months, sometimes mm-hmm. longer. And the person may have changed, right? Their needs may have changed. Right. But again, she was able to see him in the wheelchair and really make sure that what we were hoping for actually happened. Wow. So ironically, we were just on a call with uh, my membership program and the OTs were mentioning that now here, I think you have to, at least in one of the states that the OT was mentioning that you have to be certified in like wheelchair evaluations. Do you know if that's like the case now in, in Canada? It's becoming that way. So now we have different levels, levels of seating specialists. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little bit interesting in Canada as well, because each of the provinces is very similar to the states. Mm. So you're regulated, unregulated within the province of Alberta. Uh, The territories have just formed an association. So we have 10 provinces and three territories, the three territories being the most northern areas of Canada. And so none of it as a territory, particularly in back in 2010, uh, had no regulatory body. So you worked up there as an occupational therapist under your regulatory body. 
So if someone had a complaint, they would phone Alberta, not gotcha. somewhere in Nunavut. And so technically we would fall under the same regulation right now, but because there's just such a lack of service, it really is. If you're the OTF there, it doesn't matter what seating level you have. You are the seating you're specialist. It. Yeah. That's it. Or we're shipping that person by a plane, you know, a couple hundred miles. So. Yeah. Wow. 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 That's like an amazing experience as a student. I mean, whoa. Now I stay away from wheelchairs. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do you do your evaluations now? I, until 2017, <laughs> I did. Yep. <laughs> All right. So, uh, let actually, let's jump a little bit forward here. So what are you doing now mm -hmm. in, uh, I know you're still in the virtual space. Tell us about what you're doing. So I am now, uh, an occupational therapist in private practice. So I am one of the only occupational therapists working in the pelvic health space in Alberta. So we have almost, I think we are almost at 10, maybe even 15 coming up in Canada wow. <laughs> for pelvic health. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. So we have a brick and mortar clinic. We have another therapist. And then as well, I do obviously do some stuff in the online space. And because there isn't as many of us, there's many pelvic physios, but there's not pelvic OT. Right. Um, I offer telehealth as a piece of that to my entire province of Alberta where I regulate it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big component of our practice right now, either working alongside a pelvic physio who maybe has done the physical piece and needs some assistance with the psychological, emotional trauma, those types of idea, or see someone for that whole kind of biopsychosocial spectrum yeah. um, via either phone or video. Wow. That's amazing. I'm sure you're accessing people that, you know, probably wouldn't have otherwise been seen, especially now. Yeah. Um, and with such like a private matter too, you know, you don't just want to, I don't know. Go well, everyone's scared yeah. <laughs> to do virtual pelvic health because they're like, do I need to put my private parts on camera? Yeah. It's like, absolutely not. You do not need to do that. And I was very lucky. So I opened my practice in 2017. And to me, it was just a no brainer that that would always be a service, mm -hmm. that virtual piece, because I actually had just come out of four years of acute mental health. And we used um, telehealth in that spot because we took everyone from, we took clients from all over the province into an inpatient psychiatric um, program mm -hmm. that was voluntary and was really there, really OT oriented. So we actually screened every client coming in via telehealth with a team interview. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you've kind of been doing it all along. Yeah. And like the psychiatrists were using it, the psychologists were using it, OT, social work, even rec therapy. We all use that on a regular basis. So when I opened my private practice, I was like, absolutely. I know there's people in Northern Alberta or Southern Alberta or just places where pelvic health really hasn't come yet. Right? Yeah. So I love that, like all the areas that you've mentioned because like people think telehealth and they automatically think pediatrics, which is why I'm like on the hunt for people who are doing <laughs> other things in telehealth, because even though I'm doing peds, but I know that it's being done 
in other areas and you've touched on so many that you, you know, that you've dealt with in your career. So that's amazing. To be honest, peds, I think would be the hardest in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) But like we even have, and this is not me obviously, but I want people to know where this is going. This is why I, I did put my hand up when you asked for people, even at that same psychiatric facility that is here in my small town, we're a town of 7,000 people, but we have one of the major psychiatric facilities. We also have addiction and mental health. And Mm -hmm. so as I left the program, uh, it was just starting, but we actually have a virtual opioid dependency program for the opioid crisis. And everything is done either via video telehealth or phone. So everyone's working from home right now because of the pandemic. And those clients are still all getting services. So mental health services, case management services, addiction health services, all via mostly telephone, but some video telehealth as well. And they're getting over, uh, I have a girlfriend who works in it still, and she said they're getting over a hundred referrals a day. Wow. 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 That's amazing. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I know, like, I know of the possibilities, like I, you know, I studied it and I know here, like the VA is doing a lot in a bunch of different areas. And I try to like, you know, tell people, like, I know the research is not really there, but it is so useful. Yeah. The research can't be there till we've done it. Yeah, exactly. It will be after this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. So many people are doing studies right now. Um, on telehealth. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, um, all right. So let's jump into what, what are the biggest lessons you learned? What do you want to tell everyone? Like as a telehealth provider, what are the big takeaways from your whole telehealth experience and journey? Yeah. So both in public and private practice, I think one of the biggest things is that it, that you can still establish a very strong therapeutic relationship. Yes. Like that's number one. Everybody yes. thinks you can't. That's, that's a bunch of yes. baloney, right? I love you so much. <laughs> I need to go back to work more because of language. There shouldn't be easy at work. Um, but also the other pieces is people need to know what to expect. And that is something I learned the hard way mm-hmm. is that you have to front load that expectation. Yes. So literally a sheet or an email or a phone call saying, Hey, this is what this looks like. And it can be you. It can be an assistant. It can be a receptionist. Yeah. It can be anybody. It can be an auto email. Like if you're mm-hmm. automating your systems, they book in, send the email that says, this is what a virtual assessment looks like. Looks like. This is what's going to happen. So for a public health assessment, we're going to do a thorough interview in history that will probably be 35 to 40 minutes for sure. Just chatting. Then after that, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to do some movements in front of the camera. Here's what probably those movements are. There may be a couple more I add, or I might take some away, but here's probably what I'm going to ask you to mm-hmm. do. And then what we're going to leave the session with is the same as any other session, right? Our goals, one yeah. or two takeaway strategies, da, 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 da. And then the other key piece is what happens when the technology doesn't work? Yes. What's the backup plan? So for me, if this isn't working, 
the video, then we need to go to a phone call. So I need your phone call and I need to make sure that your phone is not on silent. Yeah. And it's okay if your phone goes off. For me, it's okay if your kids run in the room. Right. It's okay if you have to go get, you know, wipe a bum or mm-hmm. get a snack or whatever. Or if your house is a disaster. I love telling I people that. Like, care. I do not care what your house looks like. <laughs> right? Like my my pile of laundry is sitting three inches to the left out here. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I love that. Oh my gosh. Like we're so in line because that is like what I tell people all the time. It's like, if you want a successful telehealth session, you have to set the expectation for your patients. Like you have to. And if you don't, you're just going to fail. Forget it. Because if they don't know what to expect or they don't know like the level of Mm -hmm. care, like that you're going to deliver and what that looks like, then they're going to, their mind is going to be somewhere else and you're just not going to be in sync. Yeah. So can, can we schedule when you have someone else home to watch the kids? If we can, fantastic. If we can't, mm-hmm. oh well. Mm-hmm. But you know, can, what can we set up and what preparation can we do? Yeah. Even things like, are we going to be recording the session? Right. Okay. We might be recording for whatever purposes. Most likely in my sessions, I'm not recording. Right. Yeah, so just either. letting someone know that, mm-hmm. hey. And then if I am doing telehealth, do I have the right consent in place? So the legal pieces, as well as if I want to record, even for that client to have it, then I need to get another consent. And so what can all be done ahead of time? And then by the end, people are like, oh, this is the same as FaceTiming my mom or my grandma. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's exactly the same. Right? So who cares? Yeah, that's what I tell them. Actually, I'm like, when I start, people ask me all the time, like, how do you establish rapport, like via telehealth? I'm like, the first thing I say is tell them and for you too to just pretend like you're on FaceTime with Aunt Susie or Uncle Jake, like, just pretend like just take off that pressure of having to be like so perfect and polished it should just be more casual and the main that you say that everyone just like lets loose and it's like all right we're just gonna talk and it's okay yeah and that's fine yeah I love that so what about um you wanted to share a couple things so tell us an example of the well you kind of did with the wheelchair but maybe you have another example of making do with what you have so like limited <laughs> supplies we don't have a lot of things to work with this comes up all the time people are like what yeah. if they don't have like in pediatrics like a puzzle or the blocks or the shape sorter i'm like well okay i'll let you tell it because i've i've said this a million times already <laughs> and i think you know i do think that that's a, a legit concern there's it's valid However, the clients, and if we come right back to OT, we need to use what's happening in their life anyways. So it might be run and find three things in your room right now that you love. Exactly. And we, we will, and you can be working on a fly around that, yeah. right? And you might say, you pick two things you love, and I'd like you to get a puzzle if you don't have it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just this morning, actually, I was on it's minus 40. So we're not going outside. School is canceled, etc. Um, so we're doing zoom session for a postpartum group this morning. Mm. That was great. Everybody popped on except for the fact that I wanted to be at my clinic where I have my pelvic model, mm. where I have my ring light, where I have all of my things that I want to show. 
So <laughs> I will show you my real life example or tell you my real life example of this morning doing this. So I didn't have a pelvic model. Oh, well, I did have a balloon and my children have stolen it now. So I used a balloon and I wrote diaphragm, transverse abdominis, pelvic floor on the bottom. Ala Julie Weave, who's a pelvic health PD, or physio. I got my kids, what do you call it? The, you're going to see my messy house now. <laughs> they're they're drawing out. I didn't need an easel to do all these things. I just used my kids' whiteboard. Love it. I went and grabbed, you know, a towel and was like, what can we do with the towel? We can work on diastasis recti. We can work on posture and seating. We can work on the ability to feel if yeah. I'm relaxing or contracting my pelvic floor, all with the laundry that's sitting on my <laughs> side me waiting to get done, right? So it. it's make do with what you have. And those moms in that group did not care if I had a pelvic model at all. Yeah. Right. So we just ask, you know, what's happening in your life, in your day, around your issue. Mm-hmm. We were talking pelvic health. So we we did things like pick up a kid. So I had them do that on the video instead of myself because I didn't have my car seat that I usually have for showing people. Mm-hmm. So I we can that. always get around it, right? It's just yeah. being creative and it's also acknowledging. I said to them, hey guys, I don't have what I normally have today. Um, but they all know they're all in the same boat as me. Mm-hmm. So guess what? There might be a kid running in. They were all like, uh, hello, you know, there's kids running circles. Yeah. Who cares? I love it. But we so, want to have, we have ideal places, but we also need right. to remember we're not an ideal profession. Otherwise exactly. people wouldn't be coming to us. And we're so creative. Like that's yeah. just, this is like a perfect opportunity to be creative in the middle of chaos. Yes. If you got to wear your kids, big pink headphones. I think I saw somebody talk about the other day. You wear your kids, big pink headphones. Who exactly. Cares? Yeah. So from like an entrepreneur perspective, I'm putting you on the spot here. Yep. The clients don't care about any of that. What do they care about, Lindsay? (laughs) I was just thinking, I was like, I've said who cares a lot. (laughs) Um, What they care about is getting valuable information. Exactly. What they care about is moving forward on our goal. So as long as if in the middle of the chaos and if it truly feels like chaos, right, or whatever might be happening, or you're not sure because you can't get the feedback that you normally do from your client. You just need to ask and say, so we said that a goal was this, or today we were working on this. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me why or how, if they're a person who's able to, to reflect back, how you feel that we did that today? Right. Or, you know, offering that information if it's maybe a kid, right, who isn't able to give us some of that information back. So can you see how when we did this, we worked on this and this and this. Isn't that so cool that you can use your toys to work on your goals? I love it. I always say like, they don't care what you look like, what your space looks like. They really only care that you are helping them. Like Mm -hmm. that is it, that you're helping them achieve their goals, that you're helping them participate in occupation. Like that's all they care about. Yeah. And that's all and that I we should care about. Yeah. I told my clients this morning or the ladies on the call, I said, I'm wearing sweatpants, like black sweatpants and a black tank top. And I said, it's not because I don't want to show up professionally for you guys, but on video here, 
I actually need you to be able to see what my body is doing. Mm-hmm. So he, and I, if you always just put that why in there, people are like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Right. Okay. So she's not wearing dressy clothes today because that would be really difficult to do a lunge in or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I love the like clarity, transparency, communication. Mm-hmm. I remember one uh, university professor asked me like in preparation for a telehealth class, like what's the number one piece of advice you can give to students who are wanting to learn about telehealth? I'm like communication, like learn how to communicate effectively yeah. verbally with minimal visuals. And yeah. that is like how you can become a great telehealth provider is by communicating expectations, communicating issues, like just making sure, you know, that you're on the same page with your clients. Yeah. And that check-in will always tell you, mm-hmm. right? It will always tell you. They say, I actually have no idea what we just did in the last hour. Then, okay, that gives you information too. It's like, exactly. well, that wasn't the approach for that client. Okay. Let's That's just okay. Gears. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I love it. Um, so what, well, I didn't let you tell us too much about your business. Okay. You can share more. Um, okay. I'm actually like trying to see if I want to transition this podcast into more entrepreneur type stuff. So I'm glad that you're here with us today. So let's talk about like, about your business. Tell us about your business. Like yeah. when did you, well, you told us when you started, <laughs> but what has been like the most difficult part as an entrepreneur? Why are you a business owner? I'm throwing all these extra questions, but, and then we'll wrap up with our last question. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm an entrepreneur because I'm not a good employee. Is that, (laughs) I don't know. Right. (laughs) But I just, there is always a time and a place for policy and procedure. And as we grow in our business, I'm finding myself gravitating more towards that policy and procedure. But I think it's also just my personality and my passion to make do with what we have, like we talked about, and work with people where they're at. So Mm -hmm. that's not always easy in big organizations and different things. And so if you want to go anywhere, like I see women for public health, I also see them for mental health. I also have done splinting in the last year. Don't tell anyone my (laughs) splinting is really not up to par anymore. <laughs> Good it's thing this is only audio. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. I just showed you. No, just kidding. It was, it was good. <laughs> oh, I think that's from like 2008. Oh, but so those are the pieces why I want to be an entrepreneur. And I also want to be able to dictate what type of services and how we, how we provide those. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times human elements get left out of things. Right. Right. The ability to say, hey, you know what? I don't have a client after this. You're bawling right now because we've been talking about a really traumatic birth or whatever that looks like. Why don't we just take a walk outside yeah. for 10 minutes together? I'm going to make sure you're okay and and I'm okay. And yeah. that's going to be great. Which in an employee situation, that's not always encouraged mm-hmm. or allowed. Sometimes it is. So our business really is uh, emotion therapy and it's e hyphen motion therapy. Mm. There's a note to entrepreneurs never put in a hyphen, a hyphen. <laughs> in your name, but it means a lot to me. 
because I wanted people to know we do work from the physical aspects, so motion. Yeah. I wanted to know how people, or I wanted to tell people how that tied to emotion oh, I love and that. to our mental health and how it really all comes together. And so we also coined the term, I don't know if everyone else is using it or not, but I use it a lot, whole person pelvic health, mm. right? We need to look at the person as a whole. So we provide that obviously in person and then via virtual or telephone appointments in Alberta. But then again, there was another boundary that I didn't really love of being a therapist only within your province or state. Right. And so we have an offshoot now that is in the online space. Um, and that is called mother function. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I like I have to go on Google. Hold on a second. <laughs> you keep talking. I'm going <laughs> to. So mother function came out of women living with chronic pelvic pain and how we were just jumping to surgeries and different things. And for some pieces that really is necessary. So for example, endometriosis, we know excision surgery is the gold standard. But what about all the time in between that you have to function? What about the rest of your life, right? We talk about, you know, exercise might be an hour, but what about the other 23 hours? What about returning to work with a, you know, a chronic pelvic pain condition type of thing? So it started out as living well with pelvic pain, which was the worst name in the entire world. Yeah. So boring. <laughs> I know. I saw, you should see Raina's face right now. And one I day, love your just, Instagram, by yeah. the way. You guys go follow her, motherfunction.ca on Instagram. Okay, yeah, keep going. it just clicked. <laughs> and it was like, everyone just wants to mother function. I love that. And so if we, it's kind of sassy, kind of whatever, but someone living with chronic pain of any kind right. and having to do all the things and all the roles, that really just seems to resonate. And so now it's really become an actual holistic OT program and a coaching program around sleep and pelvic health and neuroscience and pain science. So much fun. It's so are you helping that. people now outside of Alberta with this? Yes. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So we're so, international with that. And so I am not working as an occupational therapist. I am working as a coach. I love that. We can, oh, we can so dive into this because a lot of people are like, <laughs> well, how question. can I do, yeah, like how can I do telehealth or virtual and not be in my state? And I'm like, ah, like I don't try to go there with people. But when I hear yeah. that it's like a very clear business model that is not officially telehealth, yeah. officially occupational therapy, you're not marketing as yeah. such then no. to me, like you're good. And that was the clear kind of bit that I worked with my regulatory college a little bit on, um, was really around, I have emotion therapy. It's very clearly defined what we offer there. And mother function is education and coaching on Love a set it. program. So we can go ahead and do that wherever it is. What they wanted was to website. Yeah. Which I was like, that, that's what you want. So <laughs> technically right now we don't have a mother function website. Mm -hmm. I am quote unquote in progress on that, but that is the uh, delineating factor for us. Yeah. I like it. I, I think that it's very clear the distinction that you're making and such a, it opens up so many doors and opportunities for you. I mean, 
I know for me, like my pediatric practice is very limited to Florida, but like training and coaching occupational therapists on telehealth or building a private practice like online I can do. And it's, you know, it's opened up a lot of doors for me and for my career. So that's a great example. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap up. Share your one piece of advice for any telehealth entrepreneur who's listening. One piece of advice for telehealth entrepreneurs. I would say probably worry less about equipment and Mm. more about that communication that we talked about. So the client journey and making it as easy and seamless as possible for them before, during, and after with follow-up, et cetera. And there's really enough programs and equipment and stuff to make that easy, but really it doesn't matter what camera you're using. Right. Um, It matters if your client can get the value that they need from you. Yes. So important. We tend to focus on such crazy things when we start our business, like the name, the website, licenses, and I'll get caught up on all this stuff. I'm like, and we've then, all done it. <laughs> yeah, I, I did it too. And then people yeah. get stuck on like, well, how do I get clients? I'm like, did you stop to think about what, who you're serving? First mm-hmm. of all, like who's your avatar, what they need, not what you think they need, what they what want. They yeah. yeah. Like before you set up your whole business. No, most people didn't. I didn't not, you know, like looking back now. Yeah. But yeah, so that's very good advice. Thank you so much for being here. It's been awesome getting to know you. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you so much, Rada. <laughs> I really appreciate the time to just chat and kind of collaborate across the, across the border. therapist and you want to know more about telehealth be sure to join the telehealth ot facebook group for more information i'll catch you on the next episode